Some of Jesus' things that he says are very, very poetic, aren't they? Um, that is to say, they seem to be quite light on specifics and large on their power to evoke. And I think this saying about, come to me all you who thirst, and this comment about rivers of living water bubbling up is among those very evocative but not terribly specific sayings. And uh, there's a lot to delve into here, as often is the case with uh, John's description of Jesus. Um, it is language that allows for a lot of possibilities in it, and you get the gist of where he's going, but the specifics can be a little more tricky. So I'm going to get a little bit specific, and so as a result, you probably will have some issues with what I'm going to say, and I like that. So you can take that up with me or each other or whatever you like. The first thing to do here is to notice that Jesus says, come to me all you who thirst. And here he's not using thirst, strictly speaking, as the idea of you need a drink of water. It's kind of this idea of desire. Um, religious groups generally haven't done very well with um, desire. There's a very ambivalent relationship with desire in most religions. The notion of human desire is usually seen to be corrupt somehow. Um, however, here there is also a sense that Jesus is referencing thirst, which does carry a sense of need. So there's need desire going on here. After all, quenching thirst is not simply human desire. Quenching thirst is something we need to do to keep going with our lives. So what might this thirst actually be referencing here? What is Jesus trying to say when he's, when he's referencing both desire and need in our experience? Well, I want to suggest something quite specific. I think the way in which we utilise one another as our primary reference point to navigate our way through life fills that kind of criteria of both desire and need. That is to say, we have this universal instinct, we all share it, where we look at what's going on around us to help inform us with regard to what is normal, that which we might consider to be perfectly okay. And this is a legitimate way of navigating life. It's relatively harmless most of the time. You look around, is, am I doing things within the normal realm of normality and all that kind of stuff? But we don't stop there, do we? We want to keep pace with those around us, this idea of uh, being counted among the normal people or keeping up with the Joneses, as it was said in the 60s, I think. Um, of course, the reality is we don't want to simply keep up with them. We'd like to be just a little bit ahead, not too far ahead but just a little bit ahead. And this is a kind of soft competition that happens that largely goes unacknowledged. We can quickly uh, excuse our behaviours on that, but it does also often escalate under certain situations and become quite a, a hot rivalry, that which would threaten our peaceful coexistence with our neighbours, for example. Uh, for many years we lived on the beautiful northern beaches and one of the quickest ways to turn a neighbour into an enemy would be to initiate a renovation of your home. <laughs> Most particularly, but not exclusively, if that renovation were to involve building a little bit higher 
and impeding an existing view or indeed creating a barrier to sunlight that was coming into someone's backyard. See, we, we don't mind what others enjoy until their enjoyment comes at the expense of our own. We don't mind what others have so long as we can have access to the same kinds of things should we want them. And this is what we kind of need, in a sense. Jesus wants to offer us an alternative point of reference. Rather than looking to the group around us, our neighbours and our community, Jesus calls us to follow him. Thirst needs to be satisfied or sated, satiated. I'm not sure which word to use there, but... Jesus appears to appreciate this reality. We have a thirst and we need to drink. His directive is to come to him and drink. Rather than taking soundings from our neighbours in relation to how we are going through life, we should take our soundings from Christ, the way Jesus related to people and navigated life. That offers the clearest and most accessible option for how to drink up all you'll ever need to live a good life. Because not all drinks offer the same level of hydration. You might have noticed this. Um, I used to have a lawn that I had to mow. And uh, on a hot summer's day when it was growing while you watched it, I would get out there with the mower and there was a lot of satisfaction in going out there and mowing the lawn in the heat of the day and you come in, you're dripping wet and all that kind of stuff and the first thing I'd want to do is have a beer. And of course a number of you are there going, yep, fair enough. But alcohol doesn't actually hydrate you, not nearly so well as water. In fact, your body uses water to process the alcohol, I think, and alcohol is a lousy thirst quencher, even though we're kind of, uh, I don't know, socially fashioned into thinking beer is the best thing you can drink when you're thirsty. To satisfy the thirst, the best thing you can possibly drink is simply water, pure and simple, not beer or other alcoholic beverages. And I would suggest that rather than look uh, for what is verifiably good when we're looking for a way to navigate our way through life, we are easily persuaded by what most other people have already decided is good for them. And so I pick up that beer is good to drink when you're really thirsty because I've seen other people do it. And even though I know that's not true, it's still very persuasive. When I've had many, many, many experiences of drinking a beer when I'm hot and needing another one because I'm still very thirsty and a third one because I'm still very thirsty, I continue to find it a persuasive thing to do. Of course, after the third one, you don't know what you're doing, so there you go. In a funny kind of way, the data is in on this, just as it's in on Jesus. We have enough of a read of history now to be quite sure about this, that wherever the gospel has become persuasive in the last 2,000 years, it has generally improved the life of the majority of people. Under the influence of the Jesus story, education is no longer simply for the wealthy elite. Basic health care has become freely available to all strata of society. 
Slavery has been openly shunned, even if still secretly practised in many parts of the world. The voices of victims are frequently heard and no longer silenced or ignored. A notion of justice bigger than simply the whims of the ruling class or the most powerful is our assumption, even if it doesn't always function that way. But keep an eye out on how quickly these things are already drifting away from us in the post-Christian West as we ridicule and forget the central story that has propelled our cultural development over the last 2,000 years. Which brings us to Jesus saying, come to him and drink and the rivers of living water that will come forth from us. History shows us that the Jesus way and uh, particular historical cultures that have emerged from it tend to generate abundance. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Whether we are thinking about economic growth or widespread upward mobility, these kind of developments have generally followed the gospel's spread. More profoundly, the way we have honoured and respected human beings has shifted profoundly. Whereas once ownership of women and slaves was commonplace, like you know, only 2,000 years ago, or less time ago in many places, these things have become considered inconsistent with the inherent worth God sees in people. The sending of the Holy Spirit has so transformed the way we as humans do life that history also uh, has a trajectory of increasing abundance. Just look around the, the world around us. We, we could actually feed everybody and more than if we wanted to. But that's not all because as the Spirit comes upon us, we, you and I, become a source of this abundance. That is to say, as the Holy Spirit fills and guides us and we are transformed by following the way of Jesus, we discover the profound richness created by caring beyond ourselves. As we learn how to share ourselves in a manner similar to the way Jesus did, as we become people who offer this same life to others, we invite people to come and join in this life of the kingdom. And just in case you think this is beginning to sound a little too 70s flower childlike-ish, let me assure you it is profoundly practical. It is not about inducing feelings of goodwill in one another. It is about behaving in a way that is good for all concerned. And as we offer this life to one another, as we get beyond being caught up with simply ourselves and others start to join in this kingdom life, they too become abundant sources of this abundant life. It's quite incredible. There's a local family that we've gotten to know over the last couple of years and we enjoy spending time with them and our kids enjoy spending time with their kids and um, recently they were doing it a bit tough and uh, they were facing challenges that they weren't sure they were going to be able to navigate and both Joe and I individually noticed this and offered whatever support we could. Um, Joe cooked some meals, I offered a listening ear, we sent text messages and then Joe started offering a listening ear and I started cooking meals and we continued to send 
text messages, and we were doing what friends do for friends, right? And they were so grateful. In fact, they cooked a meal for us. And then they brought over a really thoughtful gift and a beautiful card with some very powerful words in it. And uh, Joe said to them, what what are you doing? You, You shouldn't be doing this. And the response was something along the lines of, you don't understand. You saved our family. Which was, you know, we were quite blown away. And what became evident in all of this is that we all felt grateful for each other. They may not have used this word, but we'd all been blessed. In this situation that started with a struggle, it developed into a a dynamic of mutual blessing. There was a contagiousness about caring for each other. This is an other spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. And unlike any other resource in all of creation, the Holy Spirit is not affected by the scarcity principle. In fact, just the opposite is true. The more people engage with and are filled by the Holy Spirit, the greater and deeper and richer the resource becomes. As it is used, it expands. The more people enjoy it, the more there is to enjoy and the blessings flow like a river bubbling up with life-giving water. See, 2,000 years ago, on the day that we mark today, the Holy Spirit arrived and began to change everything. Our thirst was transformed into a river of life-giving water. The Holy Spirit resources and renews us like nothing else can. This Spirit from God changes the way we engage with everything and every person. Rather than simply being consumers of resources, we become the blessing to the world. And that changes the way we engage everything. Today, Pentecost 2020, join with me in inviting the Holy Spirit to come and transform us, that we might continue to be involved in the transformation of our world. Amen.